0: A solemn charge, preach the word, preach the word. This will be helpful for us. Uh, Who is known as the Prince of Preachers? Anybody know a person other than Jesus? Jesus is the greatest preacher, we'll get to that in a minute. Anybody throw out a name? Spurgeon is kind of known as the Prince of Preachers. We're going to look at all three of those names here in just a minute. Um. Spurgeon took the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, Uh, they had just a couple hundred people less, uh, when he was 19 to 20 years old. Imagine that. What were you doing when you were 20? Uh, Within a very short time, just a couple years, we had, they had thousands of people coming there. The, the neighborhood that that church was in was very rough, very difficult. And yet, within a few short years, that, that began to change as well. Um, he preached the word faithfully till he was 57 and died preaching the word. Um, but in that span of years, they saw uh, 900 different men trained to preach the word through their church. 200 churches established and planted in the surrounding region and really became a stalwart example of a church ministry in a metro area. Um, within a couple of years, there were, listen to this, sometimes 20, 000, over 20,000 people coming. 20,000. Like this This was before microphones. Uh, this this is unheard of in world history, not completely. Maybe in war, <laughs> but where twenty thousand people are coming, and what are they coming to do? Hear someone preach. Actually, I do have a little a little Spurgeon bobblehead. This is uh, he's going to be talking to me today. No, no, it was my birthday gift. To this day, I listen to or actually read some of Spurgeon's preaching. Now. Is the preaching of the word always attended with popularity? With great reception, with throngs, with community changes? Is that always the case? Well, we would have to say no, because look at this. Oh, there's the tabernacle they built. Uh, the Metropolitan. It's actually still there. Still preaching the word. Solid pulpit right there, right now in London. Um, but what is Paul prophesy about this preaching of the word the time will come when what happens people will not not endure sound doctrine now this is we're going to get to that in next week or two but actually this is saying they and the they there later on are people that actually come to church and have churches with a specific type of teaching. So the idea is that eventually there is going to be speakers and listeners who will not put up with sound preaching but will desire to have their ears tickled. And it will not be be popular. It will not be popular. We just finished Jesus' sermon on the mount and We find that in his life too, don't we? Here he is on the hillside, thousands. A little bit later, John 6, many forsook him and fled. And he looks at his last 12 and he says, will you leave also? And so we find that even in Jesus' life. Why is this? I would submit to you that part of it is because Satan knows the power of communication. There is great power in communication. Uh, Communication is a common thing. Uh, I preaching is unusual what I'm doing right now, uh, but but communication is everywhere. You're going to go out this door and you're going to read that exit sign. That is communication. Along the way, you're going to hear all these words from your brothers and sisters. That probably will be some preaching. You're going to go home and you're going to hear this NFL broadcaster maybe uh, share something about that touchdown there you're going to see on your phone a message in fact when you turn back your phone on you probably have a hundred messages there email text all these different messages communication is common but communication is powerful so you have news music social media word of mouth from family friends acquaintances I think we find all the way back to the first sin and rebellion against God came as a result of someone listening to the wrong message. Eve was listening to the wrong speaker. The angel of light, quote-unquote, who came to her as a serpent. So preaching is this communication, but everyone's preaching messages. It's just what message are we listening to? the church is called to a specific type of communication and it has championed this communication for thousands of years it's the god ordained way of sharing life and bringing life as we will see and so it is so important for us as a church to grasp this and keep this there are many principles and church activities and priorities that are on a list one of them is preeminent as we'll see and we need to make sure the main thing stays the main thing as we look around us churches by and large come and go with recepting and receiving this communication the idea of preaching and so we're going to take this week and often do this in between messages in between series we talk about This idea of the word, uh, the word that's valuable to our souls in our individual personal time with God, but also we talk about it in this corporate setting. Why is this so special? Why do I need this? Why do I need to come to hear from preaching from God's word? So let's jump into these verses, and I trust that the Lord will use this to save your soul as he's promised to do. Okay, so what we're going to do today is just get through that first portion. So you have in your worship guide, you have all this outline, and and pages 7 and 8, there's two big points, a solemn charge, right? Then the occasion for the charge actually is in uh, verses 3 and following, where he says, for some will not endure sound teaching, verse 3 and following. But we're going to look just at verses 1 and 2, and actually just the first portion of verse 2. So we're really only going to get to these words, and then Lord willing, we'll handle the next words uh, next week and try to finish it up in just two weeks. Okay, so let's jump in here to these words. We're going to say a solemn charge, the solemn charge, the solemn nature of the charge, and then the primary action of the charge. What is the nature of this charge? Why is it solemn? And then what is the action? What are we supposed to do? What is this thing called preaching? Okay. All right, and, and this will become very practical to you. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. Well, just hold on to that. Okay, Hold on to that. This is very important for all of us. Okay, so a solemn charge, the solemn nature of the charge. You see in your notes there, there's three components to the solemn nature of what Paul is saying. here. Why is this solemn? Why is it so important what charge he's going to make? That jumps out at us at verse in verse one. It's solemn in its timing. It's solemn in its timing. This is a testimony by Paul on his what? His deathbed. It's a testimony by Paul on his deathbed. He says, I give you this charge, this public testimony he's going to come in front of people and say this is so important for you to take Timothy so it's a charge to us as the church Paul's emotion is involved here he's not using the normal word for charge it's a heightened word uh, a more emphatic word this is a solemn charge a solemn charge just the nature of that is Heightening this charge, but the timing of it is really uh, makes it another level. So let's just pick out those words. I solemnly charge you, so that the solemn charge is a heightened form of charge. But also, the I and the you are important. Who's the I? I've mentioned it. Who's saying? Who's talking here in First Timothy? All right. That's who he's talking to. So he's talking to you, is Timothy, and who's the author? Paul, right, so Paul is talking to Timothy. We have a special relationship there. Here is Paul giving a solemn charge to Timothy. Let's jump into that I and you. Paul is a remarkable story. It was recently our church, recently, this is probably three years ago, our church went to a movie uh, in the theaters in Kew Gardens, I think, they ran that, that, the the movie about Paul was pretty good. It was actually a pretty decent portrayal of Paul's life. The Book of Acts records his missionary journeys and follows through an amazing portion of his life. The the whole second half of the Book of Acts really follows Paul's life. Uh and and what a life. I mean, what an adventure. I would love to follow his Instagram feed. It's just like, "Paul, you're where? You're what? You're doing what?" This isn't this is insane. Every page you turn, every paragraph, Paul is Okay, going to a next level of wave of excitement of preaching the word. Paul was saved around 32 AD. So very shortly after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he starts persecuting the church of God and Jesus appears to him in person and says, stop persecuting me. And he calls him to preach. So this is a special person. Paul spends the rest of his life Preaching the word. I don't know if you can even see this. Can we see this? Can you see a few of these? Okay. This is hard to see, but I have here in highlight the three missionary journeys of Paul. I could email this to you if you want it. Paul's first missionary journeys in red. Look at this, right? Here's Israel, right? Here's the whole state of New Jersey, right? Like this. Paul does not have an SUV, right? These roads are hard to travel. Paul's an older guy. He's 32 to really 42 before he starts traveling. So maybe 14 years he's spent in the wilderness studying Scripture as Jesus talks to him even and gives him instruction, revelation, visions. Uh, Paul is learning the faith. He's studying Scripture, studying the Tanakh, learning the prophecies about Jesus, And being built up, and then he comes back on the scene, and he's ready to proclaim the word. And so they send him out from Antioch in Acts chapter 12 and 13, I believe it is. And then really to the rest of the book of Acts follows these three missionary journeys. First one, just a little ways, right? Hundreds of miles as he comes up here into Turkey, Asia, uh, modern Turkey, and then comes back down. Comes back and reports his message. Second one uh, goes, This is this, the first one would be from A.D. 47 to 48. Uh, then the second one, that's where it's with Barnabas. Then the second one, he kind of splits with Barnabas after Jerusalem. And from A.D. 49 to 52, he goes the second missionary journey through Asia Minor all the way to Greece and Corinth. So this time he goes across here. Matt, you remember the Macedonian vision? I'm not going to summarize all this. But he goes all the way to Greece. This is, this is crazy, this type of travel for that day. Uh, but he knows all these different languages. He's able to communicate to all these different people. And if you read it, it is truly astounding what the Lord does through this. Let me just read a couple of these. This is second missionary journey, Acts 14, if you want to follow. I'm just going to read two of these, Acts chapter 14. This is the type of thing Paul is posting on his social media He's not doing that, but he does go back and share it with people. Uh, Acts 14, verse 21, Paul, what is, what's going on? After they had preached the gospel, Luke is actually describing this. After they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Verse 23 of Acts 14, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, <laughs> having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. I oh, we just read that. That's just three verses. I don't know how many months. It's less than two years. The whole trip is two years. He goes to four cities. He preaches the gospel. He makes disciples, followers of Jesus. He ordains elders, pastors. He commends them to Jesus, and he leaves a church, 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 church. No church there before he comes. Preaches the gospel, leaves, and there's churches all over. He planted at least 20 churches. He's just going place to place to place to place, preaching, preaching, preaching. And if you follow that, actually, when he gets to Asia Minor here, uh, these churches here, uh, as he plants a, a couple of these churches from these churches other churches are planted and you find him speaking to the churches that these churches plant and so you you actually read in the bible of churches that planted other churches that paul started and and really we could i mean if you if you follow the the triangle there the the children's 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 children and the churches 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 church it's astounding to think how many churches like the there is probably no greater influence in the history of Christianity than this person's church planting, pe- preaching ministry as he goes from place to place preaching the gospel. Um, to this day, it's really hard to fathom how many, and this is just the Holy Spirit. They said he was weak in appearance, right? But, but, but he just knew God. He knew the word, and he came to a community and he told them about Jesus. Astounding. He goes on. I just, I'm just. i going to finish up here, Paul. Um, fifty All the way to 57. So 52 to 57 uh, is his third missionary journey. AD 52 to 57. Um, he's arrested as he comes back to Jerusalem from that third missionary journey. So that would be this, what is that, light blue. Uh, as he goes back and hits a lot of the places he just did. But he does stay in New York City here for three years. Uh, this, this Ephesus is the New York City of his day. And he's able to plant churches all over this whole region. Finishes it up, comes back to Jerusalem, is arrested. And he's like, I'm going to go to Rome. right? Don't put me to death. Send me to Rome to appear before Caesar. And then for the next uh, few years, he goes back to Rome. He's in a house arrest. They let him go. Um, And then he starts preaching the gospel again, and this is probably, this is what we think, this is after Acts. This is probably where he heads. He probably heads up here, uh, and then maybe even into Spain uh, as he starts churches there. And then he's arrested again. He's sent back to Rome at AD 60 to 62. He writes these letters, um, and he is then sentenced to death. According to church history, uh, he is beheaded that point 62 AD Titus not not Titus Nero is the emperor uh, toward the end of the 60s 66 67 AD and just unleashing against the church gates of hell will not prevail against us, right Rome fell the church is still standing strong right the Roman Empire um, and and so we find Paul here 2nd Timothy Look at chapter 4 now. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 again. And we find here the end of our passage here. do I have it? Uh, Chapter 4, verse 7. What are you doing, Paul? He says, verse 6 and 7, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. Is he talking about going to another city? No, he has the sentence of condemnation over his head. Paul, you can recant and you can go free. If you just say you do not believe in Jesus, this was a capital punishment, believing in Jesus. Either you just deny him and worship the governor, the emperor, and he just says, no, I'm ready to die. And that's where he's left. He's left rotting in a prison in Rome, ready to be killed. My departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And he's ready to die. It's actually a little bit of a sad picture. Um, look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to continue on with a few verses here. Uh, look at verse 9 of 2 Timothy 4. Uh, he's appealing to Timothy, and, and I just see him here. I see him cold. I see him in the dark. I see him scribbling on the little pieces of parchment he has left because he's running out of paper. And he's like, i got to get one more message to my Son of the faith, Timothy. And he says what? Verse 9. Make every effort to come to me soon. You know why? Because winter's coming and he doesn't have a coat. Isn't that sad? Here is a man who spent himself 30 years. 30 to 57. Almost 30 years for Christ preaching. No, really unparalleled in church history as far as the effects of his ministry. Spurgeon has nothing on the Apostle Paul. He says he is the last of the Apostles. The last of the Apostles, chosen by Jesus, as one untimely born, meaning after the the twelve were named, then he names Paul. And here he is, waiting to die. One letter left, writes to his son Timothy, says, please come. Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. Gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. So he's sending these people to all these cities where he's planted churches. Only Luke is with me. Imagine that. It's a little sad. Champion of the faith. Paul, sitting here, Right? We have people named after Paul to this day. And yet, he's all alone. He's ready to die alone. And he probably does die alone. Loses his head shortly after this. Gone. He's in glory. We'll see him again. But as far as the earth would be considered, right? And this is what what historians say. We name our dog Nero and we name our sons Paul. Right, so history does tell a different tale, but if you go with him into that small prison cell, you wonder what you gave your life to preaching. And here he is, all alone, and so I look back and say, "The time will come where some will not endure sound teaching." I'm like well, Paul, he probably probably feeling some of that bed too, all alone. He has this one message left to Timothy. Um, he says, "Bring me my coat." And bring me the parchments, uh, because he's got to write some more. Poured out his life, ready to die entirely alone. Writing to this son in the faith, Timothy, and this is why this is important. Timothy is a pastor. Timothy is one of these men that he discipled and brought up, met him on his first missionary journey. His first missionary journey, Paul was stoned and left for dead in Derby. And then the disciples in Derby that he had been preaching to come and gather around him, and they think he's dead. And he just gets up. Most likely, Timothy was there watching this bloodied man get up from a pile of rubble. And he follows him. The second time Paul comes through there, he leaves all and follows Paul and starts traveling with him. Paul gives instruction to Timothy to be carried on to these churches. And so he says in 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 15, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church. So, so Paul is leaving, he's saying, Timothy, I want you to know how people should conduct themselves in church. So, So we're we're gaining a little bit of the solemn nature of this charge. We find a person God used as the last of the apostles, used greatly to plant all these churches, really was the signal that that this gospel message was for Gentiles and not just Jewish people. God uses him uniquely there to spread this all over the, the ancient world, and it continues to go from there to us. But these letters that God inspires are for us as a church to follow. They're special for us. Like church growth books, where are they? They're in your Bible. And it's First and 2 Timothy and Titus. This is where we go to find out how we should act in church. And so there's this solemn reminder for all of us as Paul gives this solemn charge to Timothy. All right, I need to keep moving. It's also solemn in its witnesses. Okay, so we're going to keep following the word here. Solemn in its witnesses. It's in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead. Who are the witnesses to this solemn charge? He's giving it in the presence of whom? The presence of God. And in the presence of of Jesus Christ. So, so you, you have witnesses to your wedding, and they stand up, and they witness your vow, the communication that you make for one another, and it's, it's sealed by the testimony of these witnesses. You have witness on that document. Well, as Paul is giving this, this charge to Timothy, he's like, listen, here are the witnesses that are coming alongside and sealing this charge for you. This is why this is solemn. This is why you cannot ignore it when it goes out of vogue Jesus Christ and God the Father are attending this witness. God the Spirit, as we know, is speaking it. So you have the whole trinity involved in this charge to the church. Timothy, Grace Baptist Church, this, this book is written to us. This is, a, this is a charge to you by the Holy Spirit of God and the witness of God the Father and God the Son. The whole Trinity is watching as we are receiving this charge. That is why it's a solemn thing. And then the third one, and by his appearing and his kingdom. This solemn in its future, right, is, as Paul gives this charge, he says, I solemnly charge you by his appearing and his kingdom." Because Jesus is not only the witness, he's the judge. And this judge is going to come back and he is going to give us account, hold us accountable for what we are left with. Right? Here he leaves, gives the charge to the church through these books, and he's coming again, his appearing, his kingdom, and he's going to say, church, church, bride. Bride. Grace Baptist Church, Faith Baptist Church, Grace Bible Church, whatever the name is, church, did you do this? Did you keep up with this charge that was given to you in the presence of God the Father and God the Son, through God the Holy Spirit? Because he's coming back and he's going to say, did you do this? Pastors at Grace, members at Grace attendees at grace were you careful to uphold this charge there is nothing more solemn there is nothing more sacred than something witnessed by god the father god the son given by god the spirit and so it's something that we can't just shove off we have to to maintain it and uphold it a charge to keep we have a charge to hold on to A charge to carry out. So let's look at the charge. All right. And then we'll be through. What is the charge? Let's read it. Okay, it's underlined there. What is the charge? Preach the word. Preach the word. This is your charge. This is the charge given to all of us at the church. We are to preach the word. There's an action here. We have... Four points as we look at verses 2 and 3. Four points will become evident from this as we are commanded to preach the word. We're just going to look here at the first two, the action of the charge and the object of that action. Okay, so just those three words. The first one is to preach, right? This is the primary action of the charge. Preach. It's, it's our word that, that signifies heralding. We don't have too many heralds today. Uh, this is the idea. We've got to understand what Paul was saying to his readers. What would they have thought when he said this word? This is what they would have thought. There is a king. There is a governor. There is a mayor. Uh, this is what, right, our mayor may use Twitter to do this or, or some kind of official decree. And it's given to you. It's placarded on your business. This is the message for you. It's heralded. In that day, people couldn't read. And so you would actually have hired messengers. They were called heralds. Uh, And they were charged with this message, given this message, and you would just come to the public square and you say, Hear ye, hear ye. Your governor says this. Your mayor says this. There was not a whole lot of dialogue. There may have been questions that they tried to explain, but this is it. This is the message that has come from your superior. That is our word. Now this is, <laughs> we don't need to get into the Greek, but there's several words. Uh, I think we just did a whole lesson on this in our uh, training class on Saturday. So you can view that if you want to look at the other words. There's several words for this in the New Testament. One is just share the good news. Um, one is to speak. This one is to herald, and it's a common one. Um, This is your job as a representative hired to deliver a message. Heralding was dogmatic. The speech had to be heard. Doesn't mean that the speech has to be loud, it just has to be heard. This is the nature of it. The nature of it is it's given, it is authoritative. The authoritative nature of it is not the messenger is it it's the message and the one that's given the message if Lydia tells Seth to pick up his socks he might do that but if Lydia says listen mommy says pick up your socks there's more authority there because it's a message given from a greater authority this is the same way with the herald the herald says hear ye hear ye this person says give you give them taxes. I'm not going to hear that. They say, the sheriff Nottingham says give you taxes. Okay, i got to listen to that. Which is fascinating because, because this is kind of the situation you have. Uh, the, the king the, is, is gone for a little bit, but he's coming back. Um, and, and we have to listen to the king's message. Heralding was dogmatic, but the herald's authority is not in the message, the messenger, but in the message itself and the one who sent him. What is the object of the action there in verse 2? The object of the action, uh, we are to preach. And what are we to do? Preach what? The Word. Preach the Word. Uh, the Word is, is what? What would you say the Word is? The Bible. The Word of God. The Word of God. It's, it's not your own message. It's not ours to adapt or change. It's not ours to find out, to search for. Uh, it's ours by God, given through the Spirit of God. Uh, we, we are to uh, say it in such a way that people understand, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But we are to just share the Word. I have no liberty to change the Word. You have no liberty to change the Word. The message is given. We are, we are angels. Hark! Hark! The herald angels preach. They couldn't change the message, and you and I cannot change the message either. And so each Sunday, and people do ask this, they say, Tim, wait, how do you come up with what to say next week? Well, well I, don't ha- I don't have to come up with it, do I? Because we just handle the word. I know what we're going to say. We're going to share the word. There's three questions. This is one that was taught this really early in life, Pastor Minick. Dr. Minnick, that's the church I was ordained, asked three questions. He said, you can say three things as you prepare a message. You can say, what can I say? What can I say this week? Oh, a lot of things to say. That's the wrong question. You can come to a text and you can say, what can I say about this text? That, again, is the wrong question. What can I say? A number of things you could say. What can I say about this text? Wrong question. What's the right question? What does this text say? That's preaching the word. What what does it say? We, We just say what it says, not what can I say about what it says. It's making clear what it says. The word is the Bible and, and we are called to speak what the Bible says. Jesus came as a preacher of the Word. He was the Word, and He preached. If you look at the 60 references of preaching in your New Testament, many of them are Jesus preaching the Word. You know another one of them? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11. I said all those great things about Paul. The last of the apostle philosopher, you read Romans, this is an educated man, unbelievably educated. He's a rabbi, uh, went to the school of Gamaliel, the highest school of his day. And look at who he calls himself in Second Timothy chapter one, verse 11, for which I was appointed a preacher. <laughs> Paul, what are you? A preacher and an apostle. Isn't that amazing? He sees his life ministry, his primary role as a preacher and an apostle. Someone who's given the role of preaching. As one preacher said, Paul, in his own estimation, was not a philosopher, not a moralist, not one of the world's wise men, but simply Christ's herald. His royal master had given him a message to proclaim. His whole business was to deliver that message with exact and studious faithfulness, adding nothing, altering nothing, omitting nothing. And he was to deliver it not as another of people's bright ideas, needing to be beautified with the cosmetics and high heels of fashionable learning in order to make people look at it, but as a word from God spoken in Christ's name, carrying Christ's authority and authenticated in the hearers by the convicting power of Christ's spirit. Because actually God uses this in this way. He's like, the Greeks want sign. Uh Uh-oh, what is it? What is it? You want a sign and you want uh, wisdom. But I'm going to give to you foolishness of preaching. He says that. He says, this is why I'm going to use this. Because there's some foolishness there. Why would God want to use this medium for communicating his truth? And yet, why would we preach anything else? You're in 2 Timothy 4. Look just at the few verses before this. This is why he says, I solemnly charge you. Because in just verse 16, and I hate that there's a chapter division here. It's just to help us find it in our Bibles, but there's none in the original. All scripture is inspired by God. This is why you preach the word, because it's what God said. Who cares about what Tim says? Who cares about what Oprah says or any politician says? If you can hear directly from God, that is weighty. We can listen to other people. I understand that. But be careful. You can listen to the word of God. And so why would we get up here and say anything else other than the word of God? All scripture, the word of God is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man may be adequate, the man of God may be adequate, equipped for any good work, totally sufficient. I solemnly charge you because of that. Preach the word. It's sufficient. Why go anywhere else? Not only that, God saves people through preaching. Listen to this. All flesh is like grass. The glory of grass withers and falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever forever. This is the word which is preached to you. This is 1 Peter 1. He says, you have been born again by that word. The word preached makes us born again. In fact, in Romans, that was Peter. In Romans, Paul makes this more clear. If the word is not preached, people are not saved. Can you let that sink in? This is why preaching is essential if the word is not preached, people are not saved. He says, how will they call on him whom they've not believed? How will they believe in whom they've not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? And How will they preach if they're not sent? If, if the word of Christ is not preached, then the word is not heard and people are not saved. And that is not only for salvation, that is sanctification as well you're taking notes, right down 1 Timothy 4.16. Listen, this is so important. This is the first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, and he says, Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. There, there is salvation that comes to us where we're born again, but there is a continuing effect Of salvation, not that we lose our salvation, but we call sanctification continuing to grow in likeness to Jesus. And that is directly related to the teaching and preaching of the word. And if you cut yourself off from that, if our church cuts ourselves off from that, it's like turning off the spigot of salvation in the church. So persevere in these things. Give yourself to them. God loves the use the foolishness of preaching. And that's why I say, it's, I mean, it's the spirit's work. It doesn't have to be done by great oration like Spurgeon. In fact, Spurgeon recounts one time that uh, he, he felt, after he preached a sermon so poorly he was ashamed of himself. He walked out in, of that tabernacle and wondered how anything could good ever come from that message. He arrived home, he dropped to his knees and he said, Lord God, you can do something with nothing. Bless that poor sermon. He found out that 41 people decided to trust Christ from the preaching of that sermon. The following Sunday, to make up for his previous failure, Spurgeon preached a great sermon in his own eyes and no one responded. This, This just underscores the fact it's the word. It's just not touching the word, but letting it sound forth. Now, there's an exhortation level that needs to come where it's not just, all right, here it is, should we do it or not? No, it's here it is, thus says the Lord, let's do it. Let's follow as a church this command to preach the word. Let's, be, let's make this part of our watch cry at Grace Baptist Church. And so, in closing, let me just ask you three questions. First of all, are you preaching? You follow these references to preaching. It's not just the pulpit. Now, this is a primary application, and this is the one that he's giving Timothy, this type of setting. But you know what? We're all preachers of the Word. We should be. We should be graciously sharing the Word with others. So, in that... We could take like an hour with this. And we took an hour with this when we did this in our Bible training. But, but you need to know the word in order to preach it. You need to know what this word says before you share it with others. It needs to be a part of your, so that when, when you're cut, you bleed Bible. So that you have words to share with others. Because your brothers and sisters that come to grace need to be built up. And they're not going to be built up They'll be encouraged by you patting them on the back, giving them a hug or just saying, wow, it's great to have you today. But you know how they're really going to be built up by you saying, I just want to encourage you with this word of scripture, with the word. Are you preaching to others? Secondly, are you committed to our church doing this? Right? This is a very practical application as I'm preaching. Are we committed to this? Right, We're, we're you would be committed to this if you prepare your heart before you come. We have a whole booklet on this that we didn't write, but it's really good. I'll try to make sure it's in the email next week. But, but that we prepare ourselves to be ready for God's word to be preached each Sunday. That's why we have the approaching God section. We confess sin. We ask the Spirit to work in our hearts. We sing to Him. Our hearts are tuned as we prepare for that. I love that song, Speak, O Lord. And I would ask you to do this. Are you praying for the preaching of the word? Um, God uses the prayers of his people. And I would just encourage you each Sunday to pray that the Lord would use, whether it's me or Pastor Andrew or Brother Mookie, whoever's preaching the word, that God would use it in a very special way in your heart and in other people's hearts. Would you do that? Would you please do that each Sunday? Prepare your heart. Pray, because there is something supernatural that happens. God promises something supernatural that happens when we do this. We cut ourselves off of that. We will get sidetracked. We will get waylaid. We will go off track as a church if we're not committed to this. If we start preaching the popular, move, popular movies of the day or right, whatever is, is, uh, would tickle people's ears, we've got to preach the word. And I would just apply this real quickly in our church's life right now. I'm praying about what to, what book to move it to next. Right? And so we're th- I'm thinking of doing from from Christmas to Easter, the life of Christ. I think that would be really helpful. And then maybe Romans after that. Uh, but we're praying about that. Would you pray with me? You have suggestions? Would you suggest a passage or text? And let the Spirit work through His church as we Head that way. And then lastly here, I'm just going to throw this out there. We need to pray for preachers. Our society is so wealthy that, that we pay people millions of dollars to throw a ball into a mitt so that someone doesn't hit it with a baseball bat. We pay them million. This is how wealthy our society is. And so, so just the way we are, now not all cultures are able to do this right now, but the way we are, you can actually, uh, this church pays me to give time to do this each week. And there are thousands of other churches that need people to preach. Right now, the trend is that pre- there are not enough people to preach. The pulpits are empty and empty all across the U.S. And I'm not even talking worldwide. I mean, worldwide, we need so many more. And so let's pray for preachers. And I'm just going to throw this out there. Are you considering that yourself? Our church would love to be a part of, of ordaining men for gospel preaching ministry. It is it is a it is a weighty responsibility, and as I grow older, the more I understand how weighty it is, and I'm like boy, should I have even thought of doing this for a life calling? But then I realize it's just the word and the spirit uses it. Would you would you pray about that being your life's calling? We don't have too many young men here today, but would you pray about that? You don't have to be young. Moses was 80. All right? Moses was 80 after he went from seminary into leading God's people. Consider this as a life calling to preach the word. John Henry Jollett uh, was a preacher of the word in England as well. Um. As he preached the word, his, his church grew uh, greatly. Actually, it was it's very similar to, to Spurgeon, but maybe 30 years later, um, bringing people to Christ. In 1917, the mayor of Birmingham, where he was preaching, said that the, the preaching of the word in that pulpit affected the town uh, where crime and drunkenness has decreased. Wouldn't that be a great testimony? Uh, that, that the, the effects of the preaching of the word uh, in New York. Actually, he went and preached in, in uh, New York after that, and then went back to London. Let um, me close with one of his quotes. He said, I want the next 10 years to be full of ripened service. I long to be able to, be ex- to expound the word with great, greater power. But oh, the thing is so big so wonderfully big that I seem as one who lifts a pebble from the shore. The book becomes increasingly wonderful to me. Every added experience in life gives me a new lens and deeper things are unveiled. But I suppose there is no bottom to the sea of grace. And that is the reason we shall never lose our surprise throughout all eternity. Please pray for us by God's grace as a church to stay committed to this solemn charge um, with confidence and clarity and conviction. Pray the Lord will raise up more of this in our day, even perhaps of yourself. And then let's ask for greater fruitfulness in our lives and the lives of our community as the word is preached here. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's respond to the message. This is a solemn charge. It's one that we cannot leave off and take lightly. Have a time of quiet here before we close in song and ask the Lord for grace to uh, preach the word to one another.